Hi, writers. I'm glad we are together for our new episode on the craft of writing fiction. This is Jim Thayer. I received the nicest email from Brooke, who mentioned that one of the reasons she had been slow to begin her novel was because of an insecurity about her abilities, uh, a fear of failure. Let's talk about that for a moment. For most writers, a fear of failure is always present. I've been writing most of my life, and I still suffer pangs of it. I realize now that after years of writing, and I hope you will realize this too, that it just comes with the job. I read a biography of John Steinbeck, who revealed in a letter to a friend while he was writing his novel Tortilla Flats that he was afraid his efforts were worthless. He went on, of course, to win the Nobel Prize in Literature. My favorite of his novels is East of Eden. So if John Steinbeck worried about failure, it shows it's a it's widespread and that we aren't alone. But here is some encouragement. You are listening to these podcasts and you might also be reading books and articles on the craft of writing. Maybe you belong to a writing club. Uh, maybe you've taken a class. In other words, you clearly know that writing is a craft, that there are things to learn, techniques to do, and mistakes to avoid. So you know, for example, to show instead of tell when you can, and you know to begin your story late in the chronology. We've talked about those things, and you know about them from me and from your other study. Many, many people who fail at writing don't know the craft, and they don't know they don't know. And that's the reason they fail. They simply aren't equipped to write fiction. You are a big and solid step ahead of these folks. That's a huge plus in your ledger. But even so, wondering about our writing abilities is almost universal among writers. I don't know how to avoid it. It's just there, and we have to deal with it. I try to put it into a compartment and push it to one side. The most important thing, though, is that we are learning and writing. We're moving forward. Congratulations, we are writing. There's also a chance that you have or are developing the talent that will lead to success. Who knows? Maybe you'll be a successful journeyman novelist, or maybe even... Maybe you'll be even another John Grisham or Nora Roberts or William Faulkner, Jody Picoult or Dean Koontz. It could happen that we have begun and our learning and writing should outweigh a fear of failure. In last Sunday's High and Lois cartoon, the syndicated cartoon in Sunday's Funny Papers, Lois asks High if he has any regrets. He says, A few. I regret never writing my novel. The cartoon goes on with him having another regret, not being a guitarist in a band, then ends with him saying, There's one thing I don't regret, marrying you. It's cute. But we won't be like High. We'll write our novel. 
nuts to the fear of failure and whatever writing insecurities we may have. We can push them aside. Let's go. Let's write. I have a big topic to talk about in a moment, but first, I must return to my role as your lifestyle counselor. I'm loath to do so because, well, I'm not loath to do so at all. The subject here again is author photographs. Those photos which will appear on our novel once the book is published, usually on the back of the dust jacket or inside the dust jacket flap or on the back of the paperback version. And the photos will be in our social media, on our Facebook page, in the Amazon page, Instagram, the the publisher's website, wherever we're trying to spread the good word. I was in a bookstore recently and found myself looking one after another at auto, at author photographs. Most were pleasant photos of authors who appeared from their photos to be nice, normal people. But every fifth or sixth author photo made me both laugh and wince. In an earlier episode, I suggested that we authors avoid a photo in which one hand appears, touching our chin or otherwise intruding somewhere near our face, because a photo with one hand in it looks too calculated, and so is silly, and one hand in an author portrait cannot be made to look not silly. That's one of Isaac Newton's laws of physics, I believe. My other earlier suggestion is to hire a professional photographer if you can. There's more to photography than lay people know, and you'll look better in a professional photograph than in a snapshot by your friend or family member. Here is another author photo suggestion. When posing for your photo, don't try to look interesting or compelling. What do I mean? We've seen thousands of photos of professional models in fashion ads. You know how those beautiful and handsome models present themselves as they as they stare at the camera. Their look is bored, rich, haughty. I'm behind the red velvet rope and you'll never be. It's a look. They're models. They're professionals. My advice, don't try this at home. The reason is most of us, almost all of us writers, just can't carry off the look. And even if we could, that look is foolish on a book jacket. So as we pose for a photo for our book cover and social media, look at the camera, relax, and either smile or don't. But relax. Try not to adopt an in-your-face expression. You know, the, the one that attempts to be bold and assertive. Consider not narrowing your eyes to try to look intent. That's the worst, this conveying vague disapproval. Uh, don't part your lips unless you're grinning. Don't pout. And, of course, don't do the teenage TikTok favorite, the duck face, where lips are pressed together in a pout with the cheeks sucked in. <laughs> Don't look off. Don't look off in a direction other than, other than at the camera, as this telegraphs petulance that you're really too busy to be doing this. 
don't, til- don't tilt your head back and look down your nose at the camera. Don't wear a hat as it conveys that you're trying too hard. I have a couple of photos on my dust jackets in earlier novels, on earlier novels, that I cringe to look at now. I was trying too hard in the photos, and it, it's instantly apparent to the viewer. Uh, to the viewer. At some point in the past, I realized I wasn't Giselle Bunchen, so now I just smile in a photo. So here's my thought. Relax in front of the camera and keep your face normal. Maybe smile, because a smile is inviting and friendly, and that's something people, including book browsers, like in anyone, including an author. Uh, Enough. Let's go on to a strong technique, and it's a subject I like. It's humorous writing. Writing a funny scene or a a funny incident in a scene, uh, that's what I'd like to talk about. Why should we consider writing a funny scene, and how can we make a scene funny? Humor is one of the best ways to change texture of our novel, which is important. Changing texture, using contrast. To contrast is to compare things to reveal likenesses or differences. Uh, Contrast works in the visual arts. It's used to intensify properties. The same is true in fiction. A tense scene will be remembered much as much more tense if it's preceded or followed by a scene with a different mood. Humor is a strong mood that'll offer contrast. Let's talk about scenes that are funny and how to write them. Uh, humor can be hard to write. Uh, some say humor can't be analyzed, and they say that to dissect humor is to destroy it. The famous humor writer Robert Benchley once said, quote, defining and analyzing humor is a pastime of humorless people. <laughs> and E.B. And e. White said about humor, it, quote, can be, it can be dissected as a frog can, but the thing dies in the process. These thoughts give writing humor an air of mystery, but some parts of humor can be examined. Uh, the great science fiction writer Connie Willis has written about it, and I'd like to mention two aspects of humor that she talks about, exaggeration and understatement. These are only two aspects of humor, which has many facets, but we need to start somewhere, so let's start here. To exaggerate means to overstate the truth, of course. It's a cornerstone of comedy, whether it's in a movie or a novel or a TV show or a stand-up comedian's act. It's so pervasive that in the old days... Some comics couldn't even get halfway through their jokes. Johnny Carson would say, It was so hot last week. And the audience would yell out, How hot was it? And Carson would reply with something like, It was so hot today I saw two trees fighting over a dog. Exaggeration as a comedy technique has been around as long as our language. Bardolph 
is the drunken, swaggering follower of Falstaff in three Shakespeare plays. Shakespeare wrote that Bardolph's red nose was a bonfire and said it was so bright it had saved, quote, a thousand marks in lengths and torches. In Roughing It, Mark Twain wrote about a horse so fast that the horse and cart it was drawing started 30 years uh, 30 yards ahead of a cloudburst and made it home without getting a drop of rain on it. Quote, but my dog was a swimming behind the wagon all the way. Mark Twain also described the first time he, he ate a tamarind, which is a tropical fruit, also called an Indian date. Here's Mark Twain. They pursed up my lips till they resembled the stem end of a tomato, and I had to take my sustenance through a quill for 24 hours. They sharpened my teeth till I could have shaved with them and gave them a wire edge that I was afraid would stay. But a citizen said, no, it will come off, it will come off when the enamel does, which was comforting at, at any rate. Mark Twain called his exaggerations stretchers. Uh, stretching the truth makes it funny. But here's a caution. We don't want to yank the truth past the breaking point. Uh, Twain would not have made his tamarind funnier by writing, quote, and then they ate through my teeth and inside of my mouth and my jawbone and the whole lower half of my face fell off. That wouldn't have been funny. It was taken too far. We don't believe Twain's version either, but his stretcher has the ring of truth. That's how eating a tamarind feels, sort of. When Twain writes, they sharpened my teeth till I could have shaved with them, we laugh partly at the image it conjures, but mostly because we've eaten fruit that felt exactly that sour. The humor is already there. Exaggeration's purpose is to bring out that humor. It's like turning up the volume so we can hear better. Some say Three Men in a Boat is the funniest book ever written. The author is Jerome K. Jerome, and it was written in 1889. It's an account of a boating holiday on the Thames between Kingston and Oxford. The book was intended, at first, to be a serious travel guide with accounts of history and of places along the river route. But the, the humor eventually took over to the point where the serious and the somewhat sentimental passages now seem like a distraction to the essentially comic novel. One of the most praised things about three men in a boat is how undated it appears to us modern readers. The jokes seem fresh and witty even today. In, in the introduction, Jerome says the book records, quote, events that really happened. All that has been done is to color them, and for this, no extra charge has been made, end quote. That's the author. The events are all ordinary. Trying to remember whether you packed your toothbrush, reading about diseases and convincing yourself you have them, trying to open a can of pineapple when you forgot to bring the can opener. 
Quote, Then Harris tried to open the tin with a pocket knife and broke the knife and cut himself badly, and George tried a pair of scissors, and the scissors flew up and nearly put his eye out. While they were dressing their wounds, I tried to make a hole in the thing with the spiky end of the hitcher, and the hitcher slipped and jerked me out between the boat and the bank into two feet of muddy water, and then the tin rolled over, uninjured, and broke a teacup. The funniest writer that I've ever come across is Gene Shepard. This is from his book, Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories and Other Disasters, in the chapter titled, The Grand Stand Passion Play of Delbert and the Bumpus Hounds. It's a description of a fellow just arrived in town from the hills of Kentucky. Here's Gene Shepard. Old Emil Bumpus was kind of the head man. He was about eight feet tall and always walked like he was leaning into a strong wind, with his head hanging down around his overall tops. He must have weighed about 300 pounds, not including the chaw of navy plug, which he must have been born chewing. His neck was so red that at first we thought he always wore some kind of a bandana, but he didn't. He had an Adam's apple that rode up and down the front of his neck like a yo-yo. His hair, which was mud-colored, stuck out in all directions and looked like it had been chopped off here and there with a pair of sledge-trimming, of hedge-trimming shears. And his hands, which hung down just below his knees, had knuckles the size of pool balls, and there was usually a black string bandage around a thumb. His hands were made for hitting things. That's Gene Shepard. So when we write humor, we should start with the truth. Think about how sour the tamarinds in our lives are and how ridiculous we feel trying to open our cans of pineapple and and build from there. And we must know when to stop because bigger and wilder and, and more ridiculous aren't necessarily funnier when we're exaggerating. Let's talk about its opposite understatement. Another tool for writing humor. Understatement is less, much less. Instead of stretching or coloring the truth, understatement downplays it. It it describes it with restraint. It's turning the volume down. Mark Twain used understatement almost as much as exaggeration. Quote, If at any time you find it necessary to correct your brother, little girls, do not correct him with mud. That's Mark Twain. And he describes an argument, an argument this way. This is Mark Twain. Then he rode over and began to rebuke the stranger with a six-shooter, and the stranger began to explain with another. This is the exact opposite of exaggeration, and yet it makes you laugh because the description is so out of proportion to the situation. A gun battle becomes a rebuke, an understatement. We needn't choose one or the other, exaggeration or understatement. Humor isn't a decision between more or less. Twain often used exaggeration and understatement in the same sentence. After describing the tamarins in funny, overstated detail, he adds a dash of understatement. Quote, 
It seemed to me they were rather sour that year. The best way to learn uh, writing humor is, I suppose, to read it. Uh, We should read funny writers, Mark Twain and Jerome, uh, Irma Bombeck, Gene Shepard, Garrison Keillor, Tom Robbins, P.G. Woodhouse, uh, such as his novel Uncle Fred in the Springtime, Connie Willis, such as her novel To Say Nothing of the Dog. Writing fiction can be hard, but at least we don't have to make things funny. Things are already funny. We are using exaggeration and and understatement to bring out the humor that was already there. So here are some tips regarding writing humor. First, you can't create humor out of happiness. That's Charles Schultz, the creator of uh, Peanuts and, and Charlie Brown. Charles Schultz said, quote, I'm astonished at the number of people who write to me saying, why can't you create happy stories for us? Why does Charlie Brown always have to lose? Why can't you let him kick the football? Well, Charles Schultz says, there's nothing funny about the person who gets to kick the football. It's sad, but it's funny. In in 50 years of the Peanuts comic strip, Charlie Brown never got to kick the football. He never won a baseball game, and he never got to say a word to the little red-haired girl. Uh, Charles Schultz makes it funny. So his advice, you can't create humor out of happiness. A second technique is don't tell the reader what's funny. Dave Barry says, I don't think you can ever tell anybody what's funny. End quote. Let the reader discover for herself. One of the ways writers tell readers what's funny is by, by having a character laugh at another character's joke or laugh at something else. Readers like to discover what's funny rather than be told by a character's laugh, what is funny. And the same rule regarding weeping. Uh, Don't show a character's tears because it bleeds emotion from the page. That same rule applies to laughing. When a character laughs, humor escapes from the story. And having a, a, a character laugh is essentially the writer telling the reader what's funny. If it, in fact, isn't funny, then the reader is is brought out of the story. A third tip is uh, humor should be in every novel to lighten the tone. Humor is a wonderful way to temporarily change the texture of a story. How do you put humor in a thriller or a horror story or other genres that the mood generally isn't humor? We can add a character who is funny, a smart aleck, or someone with sharp and wry observations, maybe a bungler. The the reader will watch for that character, and that character will be a big reward for a reader in the novel. So humor is a terrific tool for us writers. We can start with exaggeration and understatement. Humor is 
a useful technique, even for stories where the mood is tension or fearfulness or wonder or romance. We've come to the end of this episode. I'd be happy to receive a message from you at jimthayerseattle at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Jim Thayer. Please keep tapping those keys. <laughs>